Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Here today, that's what's most important. So we're in this part two now of this I Am series, and this will carry us for the next few weeks now. And so we're in this series because Jesus, in the book of John, John does something very different than the other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke. John, they all write about Jesus, but John writes very differently. The first three Gospels are actually called the Synoptic Gospels. They all just follow a similar pattern of, of kind of a layout, a historical timeline, if you will. John just says, I don't even want to do that. You guys already wrote that version. I'm going to write the version where I just tell you about like what I believe are the most unique experiences that I had with Jesus. And, and, and near the end of the book, he actually says, I didn't write everything down. I just wrote down what I thought was most important so that you might know that Jesus was actually God, and that in knowing him, you would find life. And that idea of life is found all throughout the book of John. And so the book of John hangs on this pattern, and the pattern goes with seven major miracles, and then enlaced into those are seven major statements that Jesus make, all beginning with the phrase, everybody say, I am. am. Hence, the series. He said, I am. And so this goes back to the Old Testament where God introduced himself as the great I am, as the eternal self-existent one. I'm the great I am. And so Jesus shows up and declares, hey, I want you to know I am. Like I'm, I'm him. Like I'm God from the beginning. I am. And so I, I am the son of God. I'm sent by God. I am God. And I want you to know who God is. I want you to know how you relate to God. I want you to know what God wants to do in your life. And so we talked about the idea that Jesus said, I am resurrection. Like literally wherever I go. Now this is before the the crucifixion. This is before three days and he comes back. to This is before that. He says, I am resurrection. That literally wherever the presence of Jesus is, things come back to life. And that's what God wants to do in you. Today we will look at a totally different story. Uh, Jesus is, uh, is, is hanging out with a massive group of people, a huge massive group of people that follow him out to the countryside to hear him preach and teach. And it's this miracle now. It's the only miracle that's in all four gospels, believe it or not. Like this is the only one. It's referred to as the feeding of the 5,000. And so Jesus goes out into the countryside to go and teach and preach. Mobs of people follow him. And, and they basically stay so long. And the disciples are like, hey, man, we, we need to break the crowd. They're going to get hungry soon. And Jesus is like, no, nah, we don't need to break them up. As a matter of fact, you, you, just, you give them something to eat. And they all like, you know, pull. And, you know, they do one of those. And like, we ain't got nothing. And, um, and Jesus said, well, you better figure it out. I mean, find, find something. And, you know, it's kind of what he does to them. And they're like, all right, well, look, we, we, just, we just took this kid's lunch. And... Uh, Here's what we got, some fish and some loves. Jesus is like, that'll do. And he begins to like feed 5,000 people. It's just this crazy, odd miracle. And, and the reason why I believe it's true is because so many people were there. Easily somebody been like, heck no, dude, I was there. I didn't get no happy meal, nothing. With they. There wasn't no fish and loaves. There was nothing. I mean, they could have easily refuted this story because this, again, all the gospel writers wrote this within the first generation of, of, of Jesus' death. And so this was all something that people could have been like, no, nah, I was there, dude. There wasn't no miracle. But all the writers wrote about it. And this is the craziest part. After he feeds them, he kind of tucks away for the night. And in the middle of the night, he leaves. You know, he, he actually says that he knew they were going to like try to take him by force to make him a king. And so he goes, I, I, he just left in the middle of the night and he goes over and crosses a lake and goes to another town and they follow him. You know, why? Now, let me ask you a question. If, if, if there's no miracle, they're probably not following Jesus, but that's how the story goes. It's this, and now here's, here's maybe the point of the whole story though. 
In verse 26, Jesus says something really interesting. He says, they ate and had their fill. They ate and they had their fill. And I'm going to tell you what this story is really all about. Because there's something so much deeper in play than Jesus just feeding 5,000 people. And it's this. Is that there is a difference between being full and being satisfied. How many you know what I'm talking about? You ever, like, like we do, I, I feel this way every time we do our fasting. Because like when we do our season of fasting in January, my wife does like, she does the Daniel fast in our home. And so we'll do like, you know, a number of days where Daniel, and when you eat Daniel's fast food, there's no meat, there's no sugar, there's no cheese, there's no basically the, 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 the three essential, you know, building blocks of good food is meat, sugar, and cheese. I don't even need bread. I mean, just milk. So that, that's just my take. And none of that's in there. And so there's so many times where I'll eat. And I know in my mind, I had vegetables. I had grains. There's proteins in there. I had all. There's carbohydrates. Everything my body would need. But on the inside, I'm angry. <laughs> because I know that I am full. But I am so not satisfied. You ever do that at night? You ever, and, and, and this is the way life is. We, we talked about this. Sometimes you go to your refrigerator, there's food everywhere. There's nothing good to eat. <laughs> you go to your closet, it is lined with clothes. I don't got nothing to wear. We, we do this in all kinds of ways. Like, for example, like we're surrounded by information. We have access. You, you right now, if you have a smartphone, you could pull your phone out. You have more access to more information than the prior generation had literally in their lifetime. You could get it in just a matter of seconds, and yet we're not wiser. That wasn't a joke. That was not meant to be. I I did not expect a a laugh. This is true. We are surrounded by people in traffic, in our neighborhood, in our apartment complex, at school, on our job. Our phone has, we have hundreds of Facebook friends. We feel lonely. Why? Because you can be in, like John Rockefeller was asked the question, one of the richest men of his generation, how much money is enough? His answer was, a little bit more than I currently have. Because it is possible and probable in life that you can totally be full but not be satisfied. And Jesus said that these people, they, they all got their happy meal. They all ate of the miraculous wonder bread and fish. And yet still they wanted more. Because that's typically how we are as human beings. That something is empty on the inside of us and we have this insatiable desire for more. Because this is true of anybody. Because when you're broke, you want more. When you don't have anything, you want more. But the same is still true. Like, you know what people with power want more of? They want more power. And people with money, you know what they want? They just want more money. There is something inside of us that although we have stuff, you can be full. But still not be satisfied. And Jesus is so aware of that reality in us. And he addresses it in this incredible story. Are you ready? This is what he does. So they follow him. Remember he crosses over in the middle of the night. Because he's like, look, y'all are tripping. They followed him. And you're going to find there's a few people that interact with him. And ask him specific questions. But let's pick up verse 25. It says, when they found Jesus on the other side of the lake. They asked him saying, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus said... 
Truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Basically, Jesus stops them in their tracks. They come following Jesus. They finally catch me like, hey, you're here. Where did you get? And Jesus like, all right, stop, stop. He checks their motives. And really what the first, the first group of people begin to ask him reveal what they were. They were the consumer. Like this is what they were all about. What they realized was is that Jesus can feed us. And in a, listen, this is a big deal in that, in that culture and society. This was a hand-to-mouth society, meaning like they didn't have grocery stores. They didn't have freezers. Having food was an incredibly big deal. And all of a sudden when there's a dude that can mass produce food, I want you to think about this. This might have been the largest single feeding in the history of the world, possibly. Because think about this. How do you store massive amounts of food for thousands and thousands of people to eat at one time? How do you even do that in their day and age? And so they, they, were, all, they were all about Jesus because they thought if this guy can make food, in essence, they were like, look what this guy can do for me. Like, I didn't come because he was Jesus or even that he was, it was me. I just came because I could get something out of this. And, and, and really, li- listen, listen, listen. These are not unbelieving people. These are, these are religious people. These are people who are following Jesus. These aren't people who are lost and have no sense of God. These are, these are probably good Bible-believing Jewish people. And so, but they're following Jesus. But think about it. They're following for the wrong reason. And, and I see this today in church. Like, there is a consumer mentality to how we approach God. And I'll prove it to you. How many people get mad at God? The only reason you can get mad at God is as if you expected him to deliver on something and he didn't give you the goods. If you didn't have the expectation that God owed you something, you'd never get angry because you don't get angry at people that don't owe you anything. So we have this expectation now as consumers that, well, God, I prayed, I went to church, I gave, I did all these things, and yet you still didn't do what, this is, we would never say this consciously, you didn't do your job. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. You didn't do what I needed you to do. Whoa, whoa, whoa. This sounds like a consumer. This is like when you go up to Trader Joe's and for some reason they stop selling um, Virgil's root beer. Like I'm irate when I go there and there's no Virgil's root beer. Why? Because bless God, I, I deserve. I am a consumer and I am indignant. I am, I, I need you because I come here and I expect good service. You ever go, think about that. You ever go to a restaurant and get bad service? You, you're like, no, 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 I paid money. I deserve good service. You ain't getting no tip. You know what I mean? Like that's, that, why? Why would you ever get angry? Why would you ever get mad? Because you have an expectation that as a consumer, you deserve something. And this is sometimes how we treat God. And it's this, and I'm telling you what, it's this kind of like, we get this health and wealth prosperity gospel to an extreme. And I listen, I know God wants to bless you. And I know God loves you. And I know God can do the miraculous and the powerful. But the idea that he somehow owes you? We better back up off that idea because, listen, God is not the cosmic butler. He is not the divine vending machine. We don't put in two prayers and, and punch, punch some numbers and say the right little magical potion of prayers and read the right confession of scriptures, and all of a sudden God owes us something. God don't owe you jack. Can I get an amen up here? I'm just, we're preaching to the other church that thinks like this, apparently. And so... So these people just have this kind of consumer mentality. And, and when we do this to churches sometimes, we'll treat a church that way many times. Like, well, I didn't, I didn't like that song. 
well, it wasn't for you, really. If, you, uh, if you've caught on to this, we're worshiping Jesus, not worshiping you, so the song's really not for you. I don't, you ever pick up on that idea? Well, I don't know that I like that sermon. Well, take it up with God. It was in the Bible. I just, I just tried to stay on point. Send him a dirty email. I don't care. And so, and so we, we sometimes we'll do this with church. Well, I didn't like the way that person greeted me. Well, they're doing their best. You go greet for crying out loud. You know, it's easy to complain when you don't contribute, right? But when you contribute, you buy in. You're an owner. You're a part of the process. The church is great, not because other people do great things. The church is great because you make it great. And we're no longer consumers. We're contributing. We're partners. We're owners. We're all in on this thing called the kingdom. I should move on. Um, So verse 27, Jesus corrects their theology, their misled, misguided thinking. He said, do not work for food that spoils but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. He's just saying, you've missed it. That you're, you're looking for more fullness. I'm trying to give you satisfaction and eternal satisfaction. Look at this. So the next group of people, then they asked him, what must we do to do the works of God. Okay, well, I didn't, obviously you've just corrected my motives. Maybe I'm here for the wrong reasons. Well, then just tell me what I need to do. This is the religious. So we've gone from the consumer mentality to the religious mentality. And the religious mentality just says this, what do I need to do? Would you go ahead and give me the rules? Give me what I have to do. And listen, now some of you people are, are, are what I would call rule keepers. Anybody like to own that? You're just a good rule keeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that's my wife. Bless my heart. Some of y'all, some of y'all aren't confessing, but usually, like keeping the rules is a good thing. You feel better when everybody's keeping the rules, and I agree. I really like it when you keep the rules. Me, that's the way we really feel about most rule keeping. We want other people to follow the rules, whether we do or not. We can make a judgment call whether or not we should follow the rules. But, but, but see, for the religious mentality, sometimes it's the self righteous. Like, like I'll tell you why the self righteous person likes the rules because the rules give you leverage. Why? Because you're a rule keeper. And then you can stand on those rules and judge other people. You can leverage yourself. Again, you can feel better about yourself because you kept all the rules and they didn't. You can point them out and then feel better about yourself, which is all pride and ego, by the way. Or it's just, sometimes it's not the self-righteous. Am I messing with y'all today? I feel like we're just having Bible study. Please roll with me. And so, and so anyway, the, not, not only the, the self-righteous, sometimes the guilty. Like sometimes you, you, you feel like the guilted ones. You feel like, well, I've got to keep the rules because if I keep the rules, God will like me. That's what all religion says. If you do this, God will like you. If you do this, God will love you. If you do this, you can get to heaven. If you do this, God will accept you. Jesus never teaches that, by the way. Never. Even in the Old Testament, you can say, well, look at all the rules. Yeah, yeah, but that was after the fact. Like, have you ever read the Ten Commandments? The very first verse is this. I loved you, I delivered you, I called you out, now you're with me and you and I are together. Now in light of that, this is how the best way to live life is. The opening verse to the Ten Commandments was, do, was not do this or else, or thou shalt be smoten. It was we are, I already love you. We're, you're already in, I've already adopted you, you're my people. Now live this way so you can actually live abundantly. Jesus says the same thing. It's not that if you do this, God will like you. Jesus said God already liked you. That's why he sent me here, not to condemn the world, but, but that through me the world might be redeemed. Like that was the whole point. But religion says you got to keep the rules. And to the, to the guilty mentality, you would just feel better about yourself. But let me free you of all the guilt. Jesus already completely loves you 
even as dysfunctional and jacked up as you are. He didn't, Jesus didn't come. This is what he said. He's having an interaction with some people and he's healing and helping some people and the religious people were mad. And Jesus said, look, I didn't come for healthy people. I came for sick people. It really, this is what he said. And the problem you, you have is you don't actually know that you're sick. That's your problem. You're just sick with self-righteousness and pride and arrogance. You just don't even know you're sick. I came for you all. So, so anyway, let's keep reading. I got to say so then they ask, what do we do? I need, I need some rules. I need to feel better about myself. Will you please give me something? And this is what's fascinating. Remember the first group said, just, just give us some more food. He didn't give him any more food. The second person said, give me some rules. Listen to how he responds to them. He said, this is the work. Just believe in the one he has sent. Meaning like your relationship with God is not in the doing. It is in the relationship. It is in the knowing and the trusting. Because listen, this is what I know about all of life. As I focus so much on keeping the rules, I get so sin conscious about what I did do or what I didn't do right. And how I messed up or how I got it right. And then I, then I totally missed the point. But when I focus purely on having a relationship with God and believing and trusting in Jesus and all that he did and all that he said, the rules simply take care of themselves. To a point where I don't even have to think, I don't have to think about him anymore. They just, it's just there. Why? Because I'm already in a relationship with Jesus. I'm just trusting and believing and following. And because of that, everything else falls into its proper order. So, verse 30. So then they asked him, this is round three now. What sign then will you give? What? What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe? What will you do? And I'm sure Jesus has got to be frustrated at this point in time. He's like, the first group of people are consumers. The second people are religious. These people are what we just call spiritualists or sensationalists. Like, again, they're all, they're all trying to follow Jesus. They're all just missing the boat. And the first person needs this and the second person needs this. They, these are the people that just say, well, I just need a, a, I need a goosebump. I need to cry a little. I need to feel something. These are the people that like literally like there are people that will travel to like these just quote revivals and spiritual movements. Why? Because I just need to feel something. I need, a, I need a, can you imagine Jesus? This is what they say to him. They said, hey, okay, well, maybe we'll believe you if you, uh, maybe you should do a miracle or something. 24 hours earlier, he had fed 5,000 people with one kid's lunchbox. What more proof do you need? You're 24 hours removed from a miracle and the only thing you can think is, I need another miracle. That's what I need. I really need that. If I'm going to trust you, if I'm going to follow you, you just keep pounding out the miracles, pounding out the miraculous. I need to sense and feel something. And so again, Jesus, I can't imagine how frustrated he is. What will you do? They continue, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, this is what they do. They basically parallel, they do this, they parallel this Old Testament story about God feeding the people of Israel in the desert with food every morning. So while you were in the desert, as a, as a Jewish person, you left Egypt, you were a slave, you didn't have uh, cattle, you didn't have sheep, you didn't have anything, you didn't have farmlands, you were in the middle of a desert. This is why I believe it's true, because they survived, Right? How do, how do a million people survive in a desert if God doesn't provide for them? And so they, they, every morning they woke up and there was this thing called manna. Everybody say manna. So manna showed up. And they're, sort of like, they're playing on this idea of like, well, hey, just so you know, God gave these people bread or manna every, every morning to eat. And so, so, the, so he's going to respond. 
Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you, I'm sorry, it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they say, Sir, I love that right there. That's how you, that's how you do it right. You butter them up a little bit. Sir, always give us this bread. Here's what I want you to get you to see is this, is that, is that Jesus is now being compared to manna. And Jesus' response is so beautiful because he says this, he goes, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they, they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone, I love that. Everybody say anyone. Anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. I want you to get you to see that Jesus is now paralleling himself to this idea called manna in the Old Testament. I want to get you to see this parallel because there's a big difference between manna and Jesus. And so this is the parallel. For them, manna, there we go. For them, manna, every morning they woke up because they were hungry, manna met a physical need. Jesus goes so much deeper than that. Jesus meets a spiritual need. For them, manna was temporary. Do you know that when they got up and there was manna there every morning, it only lasts for one day. That was it. By the the next day, if you kept it, it, it had rotted over. What Jesus did was eternal. Manna, one nation. Only Israel, one time. Jesus, for everyone. And anyone for the whole world. Manna, 38 years. That's how long they lasted in the wilderness. 38 years, manna showed up. But for Jesus, no, we're, talking, we're talking about something that so transcends time. What he did went all the way back and redeemed Adam. All the way into the future to the unborn child still today that will sin and, and, and mess up and need Jesus to redeem him. For everyone of all time. Manna, that costs nothing. Jesus, that cost him his life. And Jesus said, you don't want to start comparing me to manna because I go so much deeper than that. This is so much bigger than that. And so here's what I want you to see is that Jesus was exposing in them the wrong and impure motive that they had because really this is what it meant. They all wanted something from Jesus. They didn't actually want Jesus. Now, I'm going to say something. Sometimes we fall into this category of we stop remembering that it was all about Jesus, the person, who he was, what he did. And we just start thinking about what he can do for us. And listen, he wants to do a lot for you. But if that's your motive, if that's your focus, if that's where your heart is, you've completely missed it. And that's what these people had done. They had received the most incredible miracle. I mean, it was, it was amazing. But Jesus exposes in their heart that, yeah, you want all of the stuff. You don't actually want Jesus. And I'll prove it to you because what Jesus does next is astounding. We would never do this today. Are you ready? So listen to what Jesus said. Jesus says this in verse 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. He does something so crazy right here. This bread is my flesh. And I will give for the life of the world. All right, to a Jewish person, kosher, 
Couldn't touch a dead animal because they'd be considered unclean. They'd have to go to the temple, do a special ceremony just to get clean again. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is talking about eat, eat, my, eat, my, eat my flesh. Jesus goes kind of like Team Edward here for a second. You know, like... Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Because you got to remember, like, how did they understand what Jesus was saying? They understood it literally. Like, we believe that Jesus was saying it figuratively because we know that, like, days and months later, Jesus does this thing at Passover where he puts in this new idea called communion where we're going to eat little, you know, and it's going to represent. It's all really symbolic. They hadn't gotten there that, that far yet. Does that make sense? So they had no concept of communion, and all of a sudden Jesus is like, well, you just, look, look, it gets worse. You ever had like, you ever heard like a, a, a bad preacher or a bad public speaker, this is almost like certain politicians where like they start talking, and then you're just like, shh, 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 just stop, just stop. It would be better if you stopped right now. Just, because if you keep, the more you keep saying stuff, the worse it gets. The more you keep talking, the more dumber you sound. That, that's, and as we, Jesus has a moment where all the disciples feel this way about Jesus. Are you ready? Watch this. So Jesus said to them, this is the very next verse, very truly I tell you, meaning like truly, truly, really pay attention to this. Unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I mean, this is gross. <laughs> Jesus, you, you know, let, can you imagine Peter would have been like, hey guys, we're going to take a quick little recess. We're going to take a little break. We're going we're gonna to come back and discuss. And can you imagine? Because you'd pull Jesus up like, look, 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 here's the deal. We have thousands of followers right now i mean thousands we're like a big deal right now the whole jewish religious system they're all scared because we have more followers than they do this is a really big deal so like really the momentum's rolling poll numbers are up we're looking really really good right now and so so what we what we don't what we look that that whole eat my flesh thing let's let's table that let's let's just let's stick a pin in it we'll come back to it later Maybe we'll have a roundtable discussion about that later, and then maybe we'll decide whether or not we want to present that in a more public way. And so, why don't here? Here's what we'll do. Here's what we'll do, just to kind of like buy them. Let's do a miracle real quick. Let's just do a quick miracle. If you'll just feed them again, I'm sure this whole thing will blow over. Nobody was recording that, I'm sure. And so, can you imagine though? Because here, here's, what you, here's what you might not know. The disciples were so bought into Jesus and, and they had built their life around following Jesus. And the Jews, the religious Jews, wanted to like kill Jesus or imprison Jesus. And the one thing that kept the Pharisees from killing Jesus or throwing him in prison at this point in time is this, is that they feared the crowds. Because like in any society, like the mob can control some things. And so they knew, the disciples knew this, as long as the crowd is with us, they won't, they won't mess. They can't touch us. But watch, watch what happens here. So, I truly, I, verse 54, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And so how, how does that, if your friends ever ask you, so tell me about Christianity. Like, what do I need to do to have eternal life? Well, you know, you just eat his flesh and drink his blood. That's, what, do you, what do you do? Don't, repeat, don't do that. You give him John three sixteen. Only Jesus can preach this sermon. That's all I'm saying. So, and I will raise him up in the last day. Verse 60, on hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is a, this is a, hard, this is a hard teaching. This is his way of saying, this sermon is awful, Jesus. You need to, you need to cut this one, burn it. Let, let's not, we're not bringing this sermon series back. And so, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And aware of this, uh, aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? I mean, I didn't, I didn't want to bring it up, but you asked. 
You know, I want to give an honest answer. Yes. Yes, I love you, but that offends me. Um, that's, that's what they were thinking. Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed Jesus. And then Jesus looks at the 12 and said, do you want to go too? This is how bold Jesus is. Jesus don't care. Jesus is not in it to win a popularity contest. He does not need to be prom king. Jesus is thinning the herd. He is thinning the crowd. He is making sure that people who only want Jesus simply for what Jesus can do for them or the stuff that comes with him, that we just, let's just, let's just thin the crowd a little bit. Because what I want to know is this, is there a difference between the people who want me or just want my stuff? And he thins the crowd. And then he looks at his disciples. Again, this is, how, this is why you know Jesus is the son of God. Because nobody in their political campaign brain would do what Jesus did. That's not what you would do. Because if you were trying to build a new religion, if you were trying to build a movement, if you were trying to create this new thing called Christianity, you would never do what he did. And Jesus did it and then looked at his closest followers like, hey, you, I mean, you can go too. And then Peter says something that's so brilliant. I need you to get this. Peter says something so brilliant. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? Jesus, you're it. We, we have come, listen to how he follows it up. You have the words of eternal life and we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. But he starts with that phrase, well, to whom, t- everybody say that, let's say that together. To whom shall we go? Let's say it again. To whom shall we go? Peter recognized something interesting. Is that to say no to Jesus means to ultimately say yes to something else. I'm going to look for something to satisfy the longing of my heart. It's either going to be Jesus or it'll just be in something else. I mean, I'll just literally go and look after and follow and seek and buy into. And, uh, you know, I'll just, that's, so to whom shall we go? To turn away from Jesus. It's almost like weighing out your options. Like what better options do you got? Because everything in this world and everything that this world has, you know, to offer, it promises so much, but it delivers so little. So like you can go back. But Jesus is just trying to get you to see that there's something so much more powerful in play. And this is the big statement. He says, I am the bread of life. It's not that there's a thing that will satisfy you. It's a person that will satisfy you. It's not something that if I could one day get that position, make that much money, live in that neighborhood, have these things, be in that relationship. It's not that anything, because you'll have eventually, because we already pinpointed it, you'll eventually have all of those things. And still, in the depth of your heart, no. Something's wrong. Something's missing. I'm full. I'm not satisfied. And Jesus is saying, I am the bread of life. I am the substance that satisfies. It's not in a thing. It's in a person. Listen to this quote by John Piper. It's amazing. John Piper said this. He said, Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. And people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there, will not be there. This is the amazing part. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. It is a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted by the gospel. Chew on that for a few days. 
That some of us, that's our idea. Well, I don't want to go to hell. I'd rather go to heaven. I'm with that guy. And hey, look, that's a good starting point. And I, that makes logical sense for a lot of people. But at some point, you need to get beyond the motive of your heart of like, I just want what Jesus provides and eventually recognize that what I really need is not what Jesus provides. I just need him. I just need Jesus. And that's why he declared, I am the bread of life. And now, now get this, and this is why I believe this is so true and so where he was going. What does he begin to hint at? He begins to hint at this future idea that we call communion, which is where we gather together. And literally, think about this, because when he, when he does communion, he says this. He goes, there's bread, and that represents my body. And there's wine, and that represents my blood. And here's how we actually commune together, is you take me in. Now, how many know when you eat something or drink something, it becomes a part of you? Like, you literally take it in, as long as it's not, you know, bad sushi or something. You know, that might come back out. <laughs> but the idea of communion is the idea that I literally, what I need is Jesus in me. I need total fellowship and communion with him. Because what I really need in life is not just what he can do for me. That's just icing on the cake. What I really need is Jesus himself. And I need to become aware of that reality. That what I need above all is Jesus in me. Jesus' presence. The person of Jesus. And when I learn to commune with him, I'll, I'll, I'll put it like this. The world can make you full. Only Jesus can make you satisfied. There's this incredible story that I read, and I'm closing. Um, the, the World War II, uh, the Allied troops, one of the things that they had to deal with during World War II was taking in all these orphan kids. Because when you think about the amount of people that died during World War II, you had all these kids that were literally abandoned and orphaned through all the death and the military and the killing and all that stuff. And so the Allied troops had special like departments that literally just took care of these orphan kids. And the director, this is what was written, this, the director of this orphanage realized that they had all these kids, they were starting to get overwhelmed by how many of them there were. And one of the things that they ran into was is that the kids wouldn't sleep at night. They were so like anxious and distraught and stressed out. Out. I'm sure some of them had all kinds of just problems and PTSD this and whatever else and they wouldn't sleep at night they were so distraught and so anxious one of the things that they were anxious about is, is, is during all that they had experienced is they went through days without being able to eat food because like food was so scarce because of the war and so literally all the trauma that they'd been through one of them was that they never got food to eat on a daily basis and now the allied troops, they're taking good care of these kids, but they're dealing with the kids and their stress and their fear. And the director said, I came up with this idea. And what we did was, is we took bread every night. And every night we would tuck the kids into their bed and then we would give them a piece of bread to hold in their hand. And they began to sleep easy at night just holding on to the bread. Because now what they know is this, no matter what happens tomorrow, I will eat again. These people, I, I just thought, man, what a cool illustration. Because I think you and I are a lot like this. We, we, listen, there's a difference between having people around you, you know what I mean? And having connection. There, there, there's a difference between having a job and having significance. There's a difference between having a religion and having Jesus. 
And the longing of our heart does make us anxious and it does make us fearful and it makes us do dumb things at times. I'm telling you what, we're always longing for. Why do you think we do the things that we do? You ever ask yourself a question like after you get done making a really poor decision, a really foolish decision, you wake up the next morning, you're like, why did I do that? What was I thinking? When you dig down deep enough, here's what you'll find. Is that I was trying to meet a need in the depths of my soul. And Jesus is saying that need will not get met with a thing. It will get met with a person. Because Jesus is the bread of life. Let's pray this morning. So dear God, we pray that God, we would begin to look to you, Jesus, the person, to satisfy our soul. That God, we would be so aware that when we go longing after, chasing after, dreaming after, pursuing All these other things, God, help us to become so aware that we're just trying to get a need met. But deep in our soul, Jesus, it is only you that will truly meet that need. And God, help us in that moment to pray, to seek you, to ask, to to, to commune and to fellowship with you, to desire to know you and to follow you, God. And in doing so, you will become the bread of life. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nvchurch.tv.